Our scripture reading this morning is Genesis 12, 1 through 4, and I'll be reading the CEB version. The Lord said to Abram, leave your land, your family, and your father's household for the land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation and will bless you. I will make your name respected and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and those who curse you, I will curse. All the families of the earth will be blessed because of you. Abram left just as the Lord told him and Lot went with him. Now Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. This is the word of the Lord. Well, sometimes uh, when, I, when I preach, it feels like I'm going through a marathon and athletic event, so that's why I wore my gym clothes today, so to get, might as well feel comfortable, right, and, and bring it, so that's what I'm hoping to do today, but we continue in the second Sunday of Lent, our journey to the cross, um, the period of preparation and fasting where the church um, fasts and prays um, and focuses our attention on uh, the narrow path that Jesus is taking to the cross and hopefully receiving gifts on the journey and coming in touch with the many blessings that God is giving us in the wilderness, uh, in the desert land. But as we are in Genesis, Genesis is an amazing book and it's full of many wonders and mysteries and also patterns. And one of the patterns that you'll see in Genesis is the toledot, toledot, um, what do you call it, structure. And toledot basically means generations. And so this word, when you see a genealogy, for instance, here is the genealogy of Noah. That word, generations, toledot, is that word. Um, it also is a word where uh, uh, that means, you know, Noah begat, you know, Shem, Ham, whatever, begat or brought forth, springs forth from. Um, so that's Toledot. And Genesis, uh, a lot of people look at Genesis and say, you can break down Genesis based on these Toledot uh, structures. So you'll have a Toledot a genealogy, so you'll either have genealogies throughout Genesis, but you'll also have, here is the Toledo for the heavens and the earth in Genesis 2-4, for instance. So here are the generations of the heaven and the earth. Well, the heavens and the earth, right, that's creation. They have children? No, it's what is springs forth from the heavens and the earth, what is springing forth from creation, and then you'll have this whole creation narrative, Right, So you'll either have a genealogy uh, following the Toledot structure or you'll have a narrative, a, a whole story. So if you look in, if we were to look at some of these narratives and Toledot structures uh, in Genesis, get back to my notes here, um, and use it as a structural uh, marker, um, in Genesis 2-4 you have the heavens and the earth. 
In Genesis 5.1, you have Adam, the Toledo of Adam. In Genesis 6.9, the Toledo of Noah. In Genesis 10.1, the t- generations of the sons of Noah. In Genesis 11.10, Shem. And then Genesis 11.27, which is right before our passage, is Terah. Um, you'll see these are the generations or the offspring of Terah. And then the narrative here that we get um, Terah is the father of Abram. Genesis 25, 12, Ishmael. Genesis 25, 19, Isaac. Genesis 36, 1 and 9, Esau. Genesis 37, Jacob. And so a, a lot of scholars, a lot of commentators break down Genesis based on these Toledot structures. Um, but also if you were generally wanted to break down uh, Genesis in like a simple way, it's divided into two parts, right? Genesis 1 through 11, there are four events, creation, fall, flood, and Babel. Whereas Genesis 12 through 50 is also divided into four people, four parts through people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. Basically, Genesis is the story of the generations, right? From God's kind of creation, God's own offspring, and then further into the creation of humanity, and these families um, that are following God, um, these are the generations, the story of the offspring of God's people. Are you with me, church? And so as the church, as we go through these stories, we learn what it means. We learn about God, right? God as our good, good father and God as the covenant-keeping father, the one who promises his people things, and even when we break our end of the bargain, God continues to be faithful and faithful and faithful and faithful and faithful and faithful. And we also see that people who we call heroes of the faith in Genesis aren't necessarily, don't necessarily act like heroes, amen? Like, they are dysfunctional and sinful people, and they're not God's nation, God's chosen people because of merit, Right, because of some great thing, some great, you know, faith or great like accomplishments, but because God chooses them, right, and chooses to walk alongside them, that's why they're God's people. And so we look at the generations here, and specifically we land on that of Terah which is Abraham's father, Abram's father at this point. And when we look at Abram's family, um, if you were to skip back to Genesis 11, the chapter before this, we notice that Abram, or Terah, his father, has already begun the journey to Canaan. It says they left, right? They left their home, in Ur of the Chaldeans, and this is where Haran, one of Abraham's brother, dies, and they leave to go uh, to Canaan. But on the way, where did they stop by? They stopped by at, um, no, the other place. What's up there? North Ur. Here's my map. I'm blinking all of a sudden. Haran, okay? So Haran, not to be, it's not this, there's a place, Haran, and then there's the son who dies, Abraham's brother, Haran, who dies. And 
They're, so they're kicking it in Ur, and Haran dies. And if you can imagine, Tehran, Terah only has Abram, his son, and Nahor left over. And Abram is married to Sarai. Her name is Sarai at this point. And he's nearing the century mark in his life, and they have no children, right? Nahor, I believe, or Haran had two daughters and Lot, right? And then Nahor, at this point, is married to one of his brothers, his niece, actually. Um, uh, he's married to his niece. And so um, then Haran dies, and there's mourning, right? And if you're thinking about these times and thinking about, you know, your family and kind of who's after me, who's coming next, who's in my line, what legacy I'm leaving, what children do I have to pass, pass on my legacy, the family line, right? Does Mo, or not Moses, Abram's family is in a hard space right now. One of the sons has just died. There's no other sons. There's only Lot, who's not married yet. Abram and Sarah do not have any children, and they're aging. So the family could stop right at this generation, and that's where they are. So um, they're mourning, and they travel uh, to Haran. They're going on their way to Canaan, but Haran is actually way north. So if Ur is here and Canaan is here, Haran is actually up here. And so they take this circuitous route, and then it says when they reach here, they just settle. They decided to settle, and then they stop. And it's into this stasis that God calls Abram. Now, if we were to back up a little bit, what is kind of God's command in Genesis? Like, what was the purpose of people, of Adam and Eve and all the people that followed, what was God's desire and command and mandate? It was what? Go spread out through creation, be fruitful and multiply, right? Spread out, be fruitful and multiply. And in Genesis 11, you get the story of Babel, and I've spoken about this before. Babel, the people were like, let's stay in one place and make a name for ourselves, right? Make a name for ourselves and build this tower to the sky. And God being like, wait a second. I said be fruitful, spread out, and multiply, right? Thrive, but thrive by going out, taking space. But you're building this monolith of culture, and enslaving people to build up this tower. And so what does God do? do? Do He confuses the language and spreads everyone out into cultures. And we've talked about it here at Renew. Culture making and language making in this case is not a curse. It's actually the blessing that keeps people from themselves. Does that make sense? It allows culture making and language making is the blessing that allows people to spread out and begin to live out that mandate again. Be fruitful and multiply. So this is always God's desire, always God's push on the people. And so the call of Abram falls again in that will of God. 
to call upon Abram to go. Go from the land that you know. Go away from your father's family. Go from what you know to the land that I'm showing you. And I will make you a great people. Go, be fruitful and multiply. Spread out. And oftentimes, and probably the case for Abram, spreading out and going into the unknown is like... (laughs) 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 Is not... uh, would make any of us anxious. Amen? Like when we go on a trip, for instance, do you go, if you're going to Maui or something, or Kauai or some vacation spot, Iceland, Greenland, I always want to go to Iceland because all my friends are, you know, posting pictures of Iceland. I'm like, what's in Iceland? What's in Iceland? Um, but what, you, what would you do? You wouldn't just go, I'm going to go wing it. I'm going to go land in Iceland. I'm going to go find whatever restaurant and, you know, go, you know, check, check into whatever lodging. No, we plan ahead of time, right? We go to TripAdvisor. We go to whatever sites. We post on our hive mind on Facebook. Anyone know of the best places to eat? I'm going to Maui. Where should I eat? I'm going to this place. Where should I visit? You know, where, how do I avoid the tourist traps? So we prepare, we prepare, we prepare. We make sure we rent our cars. We make sure we see all of the ratings on this hotel or this lodge that we're staying in. And we prepare, right? You wouldn't just jump into the situation. So even when we're traveling for a short period of time, we want to know what we're going to in advance. And we want to make the best out of the situation. And we want to... Make it comfortable, make it fun, make it good. And so we do our uh, due diligence. What about even further if you're transitioning and moving to a new city, a new state, a new place, right? You have to think about housing. You probably look up, you know, this neighborhood and that neighborhood. What's the walkability scale? What are schools like in this neighborhood? You know, are the schools good or not? What's the uh, real estate outlook, you know? How expensive is the housing? Is it going to go up and down? Is rent really, really high? But for like just a one bedroom, like what's it going to be like when I go there? We, we tend to plan and we look ahead and look, look at what's happening because it's scary, right? Moving is scary. Going to a place that we've never been to before is scary. So we like to do our research. And when I think about children, (laughs) children are learning every day, right? They're curious. Infants are constantly looking around, soaking in as much sensory data as possible. And their growth curve, right? (laughs) The growth curve of experiential learning, like sticking things in your mouth if you're an infant, is huge, right? There's so much potential for growth. Toddlers and young kids are constantly asking questions. Their curiosity is endless. From the perspective of kids, limits don't exist in the way that they do with adults. Right? Kids dream more. Kids are more often in the posture of learning and subscribing to the possibilities in life. Over time, however, 
our bound, their boundaries, kids' boundaries shrink, right? Because of responsibilities, because of rules, because of things that they have to do, because of teachers and parents in their lives saying, you got to do this, you got to do that. No, you can't do that. A sense of responsibility grows, and the need to fit into social norms and customs takes precedence over imagination and possibility and dreaming. Our curiosity and our inquisitiveness slow down and we turn instead to our domains of competence, right? What we can control, what we know, what we're good at, what we have practiced, what we have trained in, where we are needed. Um, So my question is, once we become adults and lose that curiosity and dreaming quality of when we were kids, how do adults learn? Right? Do adults even change or grow? Right? And so there's a group of educators and researchers who did a study and trying to determine what are the ways that adults effectively learn and grow. Um, and do you know what they, what they came up on? The way that adults, that we effectively learn and grow is through disorienting dilemma. So through change, uh, transition, and crisis, right? So if if you're not growing, just look behind your back because crisis is coming. And when that crisis comes, it throws everything that is ordered and the things that we hold onto for structure and for control, it breaks those apart. And so we're floating. We're like, ah, what do I do now? And those are opportunities where we can remake ourselves, where we can change, where we can find new paradigms and draw new maps to order how we look at the world. Are you with me, church? And even ways that we can change our habits and the way we respond relationally to people or even to try out new gifts or new talents and go off on, you know, uh, different career paths. Uh, these transitions, these change, these crises can be the catalyst for those in our life. And so when God calls Abram, he's way past 50, right? He's way past 80. He's, he's, he's getting up there, and the hope of offspring is probably closed, and yet here's God saying, I promise to give you offspring right, like stars in the sky, like sand in the, on the beach, like to make a great nation of you. God calls Abram to trust him, to leave what he knows, his land, his family, his brother has just died, his father has just died, right? In many ways, it's just the things have closed, and it's like, what next? Like, is it just time to lay down and like be done with life? Is there anything next? So God calls him and leaves to leave his land, family, and household for another place unfamiliar to him, most likely to be a stranger and an immigrant. We do not know at this point how much Abraham actually knows God, right? If you were to read in Joshua, what, is, what does it say in Joshua about Nahor, the guy who stays behind, his brother who stays behind, and Terah, uh, Joshua 24, 2 says, 
Joshua said to all the people, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, long ago your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. So Abram's father and his brother who didn't go on the journey to Canaan with them actually were pagans and didn't know God. So there, we don't know if Abraham actually knew God, right? It's just, into the night, God's voice comes, go, you know? So that would lend even more to kind of the mystery, to kind of the unknowing, to the, the anxiety that it must have caused in Abraham to just follow this new voice, this new God into the unknown. What's next? What's next? Um, so we don't know if God or Abram knows God, but he leaves just as the Lord told him. Stepping into disruption, into transition, into the unknown, God's call was dis- a disorienting dilemma. An opportunity to say yes and enter a journey into deeper personal transformation, as well as to step into a greater story of blessing and salvation for God's people. Abraham was walking into a new identity from himself and for a whole nation. For most any of us, this would be a risky, uncomfortable proposition which we would not readily step into, right? What does it look like to embrace the disorienting dilemmas that God puts your way as an opportunity for transformative learning? God doesn't bless to just bless. God blesses so that we'll serve and bless our neighbors. Don't just sit on your hands with what God has given you. Go, be sent to bless neighbors. To be missional means to be willing to exchange our plans and desire to make a name for ourselves and to gather unto ourselves to become established, to, to exchange that for the call of being sent people by God, mm-hmm. right? Terah was already going to Canaan, right? God didn't bring up a new, like, new plan, right? They're already journeying on that way, but they just got stopped along the way. What God does is bring context It's not just a journey wandering aimless. It's a journey that makes sense when I'm a part of it, when I'm your God that you trust, when I'm leading you through the wilderness to the promised land. God and his covenant making with Abram and his call in Abram's life uh, takes the direction he's already been going but brings context and meaning and purpose. Amen? to it. And that's the same with us as we're wandering in life. Some of us are like, what am I doing? Where am I going? What's my purpose? Some of us have entered into our midlife crises where we might get red sports cars and like, you know, be like, is this what I'm supposed to do? Like, what's my life? Or, you know, I need to exercise and get thin again and get where gym clothes to church and like, you know, like look fresh and new. 
We run into those things, but God brings story, toledot, right? You are the offspring of me. I am unfolding my story, my narrative in your life. I give meaning to what you're doing. I give you purpose to what you're doing, right? You are a part of me, and I will bless you. And what's a part of those blessings? What's a part of those blessings is I will make a name for you. Not in the way the people at Babel wanted to make a name for themselves, but a name like through you, my name will be glorified. God's name will be glorified and you will be called God's people. Are you with me, church? I will also make a great nation of you, even though you don't see it. It's impossible. I have no offspring. I'm going to make a great nation of you. But this is not about, you know, supersessionism or, you know, kind of here's, here's our defense for imperialistic, you know, colonialism, right? Which these kind of scriptures have led to. Like, let's, we're God's chosen people. Let's take the land. You know, God promises that we can take the land. It's not about that in here, right? God is, one, making Abram a father of a great nation to what? Be a blessing to all the nations of the earth, right? To be a blessing to all nations of the earth. So in God's plan that the world would know him, they're actually already in a world where many, 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 many people do not know God, right? And the purpose of God's call to be fruitful and to multiply isn't like conquest or I'm playing Monopoly and I want boardwalk and park place and I'm going to build hotels, right? And I'm going to take your money. It's more, it's more that God wants all the people of the world to be blessed and he's going to use his people to be that blessing. Yes. Are you with me, church? Yes. And there's a difference. There's a humility that comes with that. And again, Abram isn't in a position of great power, right? He's not an emperor saying, yes, I will make this great nation for myself. It's from underneath, right? God is making this promise from below, from underneath, and saying, I will, I will be with you. I will walk with you. I will multiply you because of me, because of my name. Are you with me, church? Do you see the difference? So we're not talking about a Christian nationalism here, right? Where we're the great nation of God and we cannot go wrong and all others must listen to us. That's not what's happening here, right? God is calling his people from underneath, wherever you're at, into a life of walking on the path into the unknown, right? He doesn't promise Abraham. He makes a big promise, but they don't see what's happening. Abraham, like, what happens right after this? He runs into obstacles, obstacles left and right, right? The family, Abraham's family and descendants continue to run into obstacles, to the point that they become enslaved for 400 years in Egypt, right? It's not like, 
Woo, this is going to happen right away and it's going to be like gold at the end of the tunnel. It's actually, you're going to, what this means is you're going to run into hard times. But as you do that, remember, I'm with you. And that's the third blessing is God promises his presence on the journey. Uh, I will be with you. And that resounds right through scripture. I be bold, be courageous, for I will be with you, right? Be bold and courageous. I will be with you. I will be with you. You are my people. I am your God. And that's the relationship that ultimately is probably the end game for all of us, that we're in deep relationship with God and he will be with us. Amen? More than any promised land. <laughs> uh... Is that it? <laughs> I have like three different sources of notes here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, you want me into the unknown? So what is the next step for you? Right? God calls Abram into the next step in a time where he's like, what's happening? I'm losing family. We're directionless. I don't even know if I'm going to have offspring. What's the next step? And God gives him a call, a context, and a narrative. But it's not, it's not one that's like, oh, here's this blueprint that you can see way out there, and I've got all the details taken care of for you. You need to just take one step, right? a baby step, into the unknown. What's the next step? And I think God calls us as individuals, and God calls his church, his community of faith, in the same way, to the next step, right? Just take it. We don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know some of the details, and there might be pitfalls, and it's going to be hard, and you'll be thirsty in the desert. But just go. Mm -hmm. Just go. Yeah. And that's our faith, right? That's our faithful response. It's the step in to, un to the unknown. As Renew, uh, our vision, our mission statement, our dream statement is renewed by God for the renewal of our neighborhoods. And as we've been talking as leaders or in different contexts at... Uh, at uh, Life Together Wednesday nights, the question has continued to pop up. What does it mean now? What does renewal of our neighborhoods mean now? We used to do that. We used to do this, you know. But now that we've regathered and, you know, we've gathered a group of, a community of people, what does it look like? to love our neighbors? What does it look like? Like, what do we hang our hat on? And, and that is a very real question. And I think God is calling us to live into that and to trust him and take a step. And my invitation to all of you is asking that question. What's our next step and what's your next step? What, what is God calling you into? in your life, as a part of his church community, in your discipleship 
what is he calling you into? Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that you call people to a great adventure. And you call weak people and sad people and people who are poor or who have nothing left or who aren't the prototypical leaders, but you call them um, to lead. And you call them to go. And we are ordinary people. We are an ordinary church, and I pray that you'll make more clearly what, it, what the next step for each of us is, what the next step for this church is, and that we can go faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.